Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom, Red Stripe Reed, and joining me on the eve of a clash with Burton Albion, aka the Brewers, it's Andy Boddington's Bodfish, Ian Special Brew Brandt, and Brendan Warsteiner Walsh. I was struggling with your one, Brendan, something at the beginning with W, but I got there in the end. How you doing, guys? You all right? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah. Good time, yeah. Just having a Good special time. brew. <laughs> I give you the classes of beers here, and I think that that sort of that goes well. <laughs> can but, you uh, sort out an evening with Melanie Sykes? Yeah, I can do, um, mate. I think she's going out with some um, gondolier. I was I was reading on the internet. Sounds like I've been googling that. Maybe it happened. Uh, <laughs> let's move swiftly on. <laughs> Andy, uh, I saw you tweeted this week um, with England playing Iceland about a B team game. I think it was back in 1991 between the two teams. Uh, yeah, I was going to actually test you on that one because it was a B team fixture and it was a bit of a minor one. But in those days, like England had like regular B team matches. Can you actually tell me five players that uh, appeared for England in that game against Iceland? Oh, so you've got, well, you've got well, you've got Paul Stewart who came yep. off the bench. Okay. Um, you've right. got you've got you've got Keith Curl. You've got Steve Hodge. Yeah. You've That's right. got Nigel Spink. Yeah, um, without looking, without looking. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just trying to go through that team. Um, One more left, I think. I think that's what, what, Warren Barton. Warren Barton. Yes, you're right. Uh, Roger Keith Joseph. Hull. Yeah, there was, uh, was there. David Batty, I believe. Is that David, David Batty? Batty? Yeah, that was probably right. the um, the golden era of because I think England played four B team matches in that season but to have Keith Cole in and around the England team it sounds pretty you know pretty amazing isn't it? <laughs> no, this was the Graham Taylor era um work, workman-like qualities were appreciated <laughs> he yeah he I think he played one proper game for England but not didn't no he, I think he got three senior caps he played in oh, three, the was it well he, he played against Denmark in Euro 92 um he made his debut pretty sure in the Soviet Union um, yeah. in March of 92, March, April time. Gary Lineker's last goal for England, I think, in that game. Um, oh. 
And yeah, there would have been another warm-up game, I think, that he probably played in. But yeah, um, a few players got injured, didn't they? Which bumped him up the list. <laughs> Come on, he played for England. That's not good, you know. He did. Still relative. No, I- Better than I gave him credit for. He actually got three caps. Yeah. For Iceland, exactly. I noticed there was a good Johnson. Was that um, Ida Good Johnson's dad, do you think? Because he, he was a stalwart, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was his son. And the, the amazing thing about that was it was his his son was 22 years of age. So it's not even like he's 16, 17. Uh, that I was to... what I was referring to, Brendan. Um, oh, I was yeah. actually talking about Iceland in 1991. Good Johnson oh, yeah, was in the team then. So that must be the granddad. Then you had Ida, you know, the junior who played for yeah. Chelsea and then you've got his son playing for um Iceland now so it's like a, a whole football dynasty. I don't know if he got in in the end or got on I don't know if he's got a senior cap but he was definitely I because I, I remember someone someone tweeted a video and it was uh Ida Good Johnson coming on for his father yeah. obviously back in the in the 90s and then someone was saying obviously there could there could be three generations a bit like the Maldinis um in Italy but obviously much less glamorous and um, yeah, so I had a look up, and then Idigar, so Ida Johnson's got three sons, and they all play professional football. Well, one of them's like in the academy at Real Madrid, and then two of them play professional football. So there's something in the genes, clearly. That's it. happy days, by the way. That's England's B team comfortably beating Iceland's full eleven. You know, um, back in back back in the good old days when you you knew where you were in international football. I'd have turned out to see Keith Carl and Lee Chapman, you know. Exactly. Lee Chapman. Yeah, he was in there as well. <laughs> so let's have your football moment of the week, Andy. Oh, well, um, I was toying with the idea of going with a, you know, the, the flick from our new floppy haired hero, Jack Grealish, which is um, destined to be a meme for the future. Um, but yeah, again, Mr. Rashford has been a friend of the pod in recent weeks without him knowing anything about it. And um, just the the reaction to the Mail on Sunday story about him, um, you know, buying property, basically. Uh, not strictly a football moment of the week, a football player moment of the week. Um, just a reminder, really, that um, certain sections of the, well, the tabloid press, it might not have a red top, but the Mail on Sunday and the Mail are basically tabloids. Um, just going after easy targets and, you know, preying on people's um, sort of, you know, sneering tendencies. And I just thought it was lovely to uh, to see the reaction to it. I saw Jonathan Liu's uh, article. You you liked that one as well, didn't you? It was pretty straight to the point, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I like to retweet uh, writers that I think express things, express my feelings far better than I ever could, really. And, um, yeah, I mean, Jonathan Liu, I read a lot of his stuff and I think, right, yeah, I sort of, you know, I agree with you, really. And that was one where I thought, right, you've got it. You've hit the nail on the head there. White footballers don't get the same treatment. It's basically the subtext is who the hell do you think you are? I was going to ask if you'd seen the comparison where they had the uh, the Phil Foden pool and it was literally like he'd done exactly the same thing. He bought a number of properties and... As you like, if you earn that amount of money, I think that's a really responsible, responsible, sensible way to spend it anyway, regardless of your color or your age. Exactly. Um, and and it was just framed in complete like the language is so deliberate and so specific. Um, you know, when it's Phil Foden, it's treats his family too or whatever. Exactly. But when it's Rashford, it splashes, splurges like you know, it's, it's like spends beyond his means because he's a young black man rather than a, a young white man. It's um, 
yeah, I've, I fully agree. That was a really nice moment this week to kind of see him just be really honest and take them back, you know, head on and, and call them out. Yeah, so that was a really good one, Andy. Um, we're always going to be in the, in the corner of Marcus Rashford because he just seems like a good guy. So I need more, more people like him in football. Um, Ian, let's move to you, mate. You tweeted this week about the match on 15th of November 1994, actually, between Cobblers and Nottingham Forest to celebrate the club's move to Sixfields. Uh, and Cobblers uh-huh. programmes tweeted it as well, didn't he? Um, I, I've got a little challenge for you, Ian. Can you name five players from the Cobblers team that, that, that day? I didn't go, but I just I just remember the special guest celebrity was um, EastEnders Tricky Dicky that night. Yep. <laughs> and the mar- he was the market inspector. And I, and I heard someone say that apparently he was there. Obviously, you know, he got some fee from some agency to, I don't know, I don't know if he like closed with the captain before the game. But I heard him say something about cobblers. What, what a load of cobblers. Who were the cobblers? I don't even think he knew a lot about the club. He's a long-forgotten character, Tricky Dicky, isn't he? <laughs> he is, he is. And, he has, you know, there's not many EastEnders <laughs> characters that have turned up to Cobblers. I reckon between you, you can there, guess some of these players. What's that? Ian Beale was there during the... Um, the there's a f- famous photo of Ian Beale and Bayo as well. <laughs> is that? What? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, I can't believe you guys don't know that. Adam Woodyard and Bayo have met. That's a photo I've got to dig out. I've got that somewhere. <laughs> that that beats Ian Phil Mitchell and down, down at Ritz's big time. Oh yeah, they were always round. They were always out in. That's another lot, isn't it, Andy? In, in that era, we always talk about when you know um, Kevin Wilson's lot were down Chicago. Sid Owen um, and um, yeah, Phil Mitchell yeah, and Bobby. Someone can probably answer this. I thought it was always an urban myth. I wanted to believe it. it's that Sid Owen lived in Rushden. I'm not sure. I don't know, but he was often in around it. Someone was winding me up, mate, and I bought it. Oh, Ian, would yeah. you say Robbie Jackson? Robbie Jackson from um, EastEnders went out in Northampton. Yeah, he's in Ritzy quite often. Is <laughs> he? Really? Another person. This is another one. Um, uh, one of David Cardozo's na- neighbours. I've heard that uh, Sharon, you know, Letitia Dean, she lives um, in where that famous house was, you know, from the um, Cardo case. She lives near there no. as well. No. Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> With it, please. Oh, you've got to keep keep your ear close to the ground on these things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Like the bloke, one of the blokes from Shawaddy Waddy lives in Ashton. <laughs> That's true. Shawaddy Waddy. Okay. That is actually true. So, so in Sixfields, there's, there's so many branches of the story. In Sixfields, there's a picture of um, Ian Beale and Bayo. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know if there's a photo of them in, at, in the ground, but they yeah, were the there. I have a feeling if that photo existed, we'd put it up like in the cars bar when you walk in or something. So I pride of place. <laughs> no, that that next, the 2016 uh, title right. trophy. Uh, there's, a, there's definitely a, I don't know if it's hanging on the wall in like the Hall of Fame. We're not that desperate, you know. Like, well, Adam well. Woodyard came here, we can prove it. But no, they definitely, <laughs> there is definitely a with um, Woodyard. What would Bayo and Adam Woodyard, uh, aka Ian Beale, actually talk about? Your mind boggles. Bayo is a big, uh, big celebrity. He's part of the celebrity scene as much as um, as Woodyard. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's true. That's true, mate. I don't know if we can beat this with a, a football moment of the week talking about EastEnders characters that used to go out in Northampton and uh, possibly um, Sid Owen going out in Cheers by Rushton. Uh, oh, Ian, you've got to give us a football moment of the week now. Yeah, it was Mountain Rice, their performance, and their nice little interview they did after the game. Is very touching, you know, two good mates. That's what you dream about when you're a kid, isn't it? Oh, one day we play for, you know, we go to the same, grew up together, play for the same youth team, and one day we'll play for England together. And, you know, and it actually happened for these guys. So, really nice. Although, there is a depressing footnote to the story that they met in 2006 when they were eight. And it's like, well, I started the position, the, the job that I do, I, I moved to that position in the same year. It's like, great. So, Jeez. in that time, They've grown up. <laughs> they went primary school. You know, they were my kids' age, basically. Now, now they've got like, playing for England together, and I'm yeah, pretty much doing the same job as I was doing. So, you know, it's it was heartwarming and depressing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, T- time flies. Like that Forest oh. team. I was to- that Forest team. I was talking about. They came to probably was in that game where uh, Chucky Dicky turned up. It had um, Jason Lee in it. And there's little who ended up playing for Cobblers and just like, it just seems like an age ago now, doesn't it? That people like Jason Lee were knocking about. Nice. We're just getting a little bit old. Um, but yeah, that's a really good one, Ian. So how are you doing, Brendan? Uh, we know Martin Maloney has a tie-in with the Ecton One pub, but you've been doing some advertising this week on Twitter for classic shirts. Talking <laughs> about some of the old Cobbler shirts they have on their store. And I was yeah. looking at the lot are away from 95, 96. <sighs> and then I saw it, it was 124 99 <laughs> Would you consider paying that? It's a brilliant shirt. No, I've I've got the home and the away from that year. We talked about my my uh, kind of shirt collection last week, um, yeah. and yeah, I always keep an eye on it. It's not always the best one for cobblers because classic football shirts, great like range, but when it comes to lower league English stuff, they don't always have a lot there, and what they do have will be overpriced. So I'd always kind of hesitate a little bit, 125 quid from them. But when they say it's excellent quality, it will be like immaculate and it will be um you'll you'll get a good service for it so you know somebody somewhere is going to pay that money for it but i'm i'm just glad i got mine for a lot cheaper a couple of years ago elsewhere i got relative bargains when you look at that that money on there but it's a great website run by some really lovely people yeah and that top is 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 a beautiful top and the large size as well sometimes you look at them and they're either like xl or small and they're just not the right yeah. size so to get one in the right size yeah. i was just thinking do you reckon there's a boarded up shop somewhere or like maybe the back of the old the club shop with like a hundred of these shirts in that someone will uncover one day that'd be amazing wouldn't it i i, I always think that i've thought about getting in touch with the club before and just being like have you ever thought to look but you know because some of this stuff is so rare like there's still some shirts i've never seen in real life before um yeah. So, in, in even with a quite a burgeoning collection now, so um, I've got, I'm moving house at the moment, I'm moving in a couple of weeks and I've got, a, I've already built the wardrobe in the new house where I'm going to kind of display all of them. So, that'll be the first thing that gets moved over is my shirt collection. <laughs> yeah, well, watch your uh, collection grow as well as you, as you build it. I know you've got some good ones. And there's another guy called Matt Gill, collects them as well. He's got some really good ones. Yeah, um, short. yeah he's got some real little gems in there. Um, what's your football moment of the week, uh, Brendan? Um, I went for kind of an odd one. Um, well, I say odd. So I don't know if anyone's still been watching League Two this season um, with how much we have to prioritise League One at the moment. But um, Southend were without a win in 16 games in all competitions going into the weekend um, against Walsall, who I think had only lost one game all season. 
um, and Southend came away with the win in the 88th minute um, on their 17th attempt. I can't even imagine what it must feel like. I mean, we're all having a go and, and moaning about our season in places, but to go 17 games without a win in the middle of this season as well, where you can't go to the games and there's no, no more enjoyment out of it other than the result. Um, I was just happy to see them get points on the board, you know. Uh, I think uh, our former Loney, James Inca played the whole game as well and apparently had quite a good one. Um, but yeah, I was just, that was my football moment. Just there's always someone worse off than us and I was glad that they had a, a good week because I enjoy that as an, as an away day South End. I've done it a couple of times and I'd, I'd hate to see it leave the football leagues because if the bookies are to be believed and we do end up in League Two next season, I'd quite like to go to South End away again. So um, that was my football moment. That's a, that's a good one. And they've only got five points this season. So yeah. it does put things into perspective, doesn't it? Because yeah. when you're down there, it's just so difficult to pick up points and every point is crucial. So that, that was a really good one. Yeah. I like going to Southend as well. It's a good it's a good sort of old-fashioned seaside good, resort. Good day out, good little ground. Like the all right fans of Southend lot. Um, it's not, too, I mean, like I said, I live in London, so it's not too far away from me, end of the train line. Just easy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Hopefully picks up for them as well. You know, we don't want to see anyone struggling too much. There's a lot of clubs struggling at the moment and um, COVID, a little bit of COVID knocking around. I don't know if South, South End have had that. I know they've had some financial trouble, a few winding up petitions have been thrown out of court and stuff. But yeah, hopefully things pick up for them soon. Um, my football moment of the week is um, not a million miles away from South End. It's actually in London. Um, Charlton Athletic. It was an interesting story this week that um, the Charlton Athletic owner, Thomas Sandgard, has made one of the club's company Range Rovers the prize in a new competition, claiming he wants it to highlight his push for changing regulations for owning a club. Um, it's a funny story. Basically, the previous owners bought a whole fleet of um, Range Rovers. Um, apparently, it cost more than 700000 to buy these, um, these cars. And the new owner came in called Thomas Sandgard. I think he's a Dane or he's American. Yeah, he's Danish. Um, yeah, he's like, this is a complete disgrace. So he he got one of the um, cars and he's put it up for up for sale, uh, for sorry for um you know to, you can you can win it in a competition. I just thought that was a, a really good thing he's done there. He seems like a good guy and Charlton need a good guy in charge because mm. of all the problems they've had. And he said that um hopefully in doing so we can highlight the challenges clubs have had with ownership and be part of a change too many clubs have had ownership issues in recent years i am pleased the afl have made important changes on this and it's something i'll continue to speak about with them i want to help them continue to improve the change of ownership process and he was quite scathing of the directors test saying that basically mm. it was too easy to get hold of a club and we need more owners like him speaking out don't we really mm. that is really so good. yeah so that that was a that was a good little moment for me, and um, I hope Charlton, uh, you know, uh, are back on their feet soon because they've been a club that's been through the mill a little bit. Um, it's crazy to me they haven't managed to get out of and stay into the championship and get out of League One. I think they had one season the other year, didn't they? But that's you know going back to those years in the early noughties when all those World Cups, Charlton was a Premier League team and and you know mm. nailed on. So yeah, all power to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's well said, Brendan. Um, Let's move on now to some sudden news. Um, we're all deeply saddened this week to hear of the death of Dennis Casey. Club's much loved physio has joined the club in 1985 and worked right the way through till 2008. 
our thoughts are with his family and friends. Um, he's just a just a, a, a big clubman for Northampton Town FC. Um, Andy, we were talking about Dennis Casey, weren't we? Only a couple of weeks ago, and you know how important he was to the football club, and how you know we remember remember him and his you know efforts for the football club. It's just it's just sad news, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, really sad. Um, I think Ian um, got in touch after you know we all obviously heard the news and and shared it, and it's just another part of your your childhood gone, and um, that 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 sums it up really. I mean, the guy was a a constant at the time. In his um, in his tight claret tracksuit uh, and his little um, you know back with a the magic spray in it and um, used to that was a, a real memory of watching the cobblers at the county ground him pegging it around when you know Graham Reed went over clutching his knee or whatever um, mm-hmm. and yeah I, I, he actually sort of I think he was at the club for a lot longer than I realised um, ultimately when I went back and had a look at it and um, yeah just just really sad news he was a uh, you know, a real, a real loyal town guy, and was there during some of the, you know, the, some of the most successful seasons the club have had. So yeah, I was just gutted when I saw that news. Really, yeah, it just sort of bit of a, a, a kick in the stomach, really, isn't it? Because, like, I think it, you know, it's it's all credit to his legacy and everything that everything that we remember a physio. It's quite unusual to remember a physio in those terms mm. and to have that fondness for a physio. Usually it's a player if an ex-player's died or whatever. But this is this is a physio and to show, you know, the impact he had on the football club and the fans that, you know, there's been so many brilliant messages in remembrance. Yeah, of- it's, it all harks back, I suppose, to that time of, of a pared down operation, really. I mean, yes, playing yes. squads and... The, the various support staff you get at clubs now, even at the lower reaches. Back then, it was, it was manager, coach, physio, and um, 13 or 14 players that played every game in the season. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. And we had talked about him only just a couple of weeks ago and talking about how um, we rem- remembered him and, uh, under various managers. I think he actually worked under 12 managers, which is amazing, really, at Northampton. Um, let's go to you, Ian. You said it's sort of like... Uh, Picture of our childhood gone, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, not well, not just childhood, was it? I mean, he was, yeah, he was, yeah. he was there when you were a kid, Quite. and he was, he was one of those constants, wasn't he? And like you said, he was there under all those different managers, all those different eras. You know, all those players you interviewed in sort of the spring and the summer, they all knew him because he he was there for all of them. No one had a bad word to say about him. Yeah. Um, he's in all those team photos as well, like you say, because and I, and I think he was more than a physio. I think I remember reading, you know, he did a bit of scouting. He I'm sure we helped out. There's pictures of him, isn't there? Training with them on his bike while they're all doing laps. You know, he's certainly done his shift. It's nice seeing the old photos of him as well. He was, I think, there was one of him at, at Timkin when they were doing the training there. Um, and yeah, the, the pictures of him um, on with with him on his table. I think at the county ground. Yeah, it was. You know, what what a what a what a guy. Really part of the furniture, wasn't he? And you know, he's concealed these players from different eras. None of all had, you know, nice things to say about him. So yeah, really, you know, real big part of your memories, isn't he? Is watching the cobblers. Yeah, I'm just looking at um, a story in the Chronicle about his life and stuff, and he did have a testimonial, and um, some of the shirts were donated. Football shirts were donated to raise money for his testimonial, and I can just see on the wall there's shirts yeah. from Coventry, Tottenham, Chelsea. 
Dennis Bergkamp, Arsenal, yeah. Saints. I so it just shows so. you. Yeah, I remember going to that, you know. I'm, I'm sure. I, I couldn't. I, I don't know if it's when he retired or if they just gave him a testimonial when he got to a certain point. I do remember going. Yeah. But just looking at some of the photos and some of the people, you know, he was treating and, you know, working with, uh, like, so there's Dave Longhurst sort of dates that back at British Timpkin. Uh, under the Ian Atkins era, I can see Ian, Ian Sampson running around the track. Uh, so he, you know, he he treated a lot of different players and worked with a lot of different players. And, and we'll speak to Ian Clarkson about him in a bit. But um, just his legacy is there in all of the work he did with um, with football players, help football players to keep their career going. And there's probably a few that are, you know, still walking around freely now because of um. His his good work and keeping them fit and stuff. So you know, it's, it's, it's a, it was sad news, but yeah, like I said, his legacy you know lives on, and the number of people that have been saying beautiful things about him is a is a real. I hope it gives some comfort to his family. It's you know small comfort, but it might it might be nice to hear in these these times. Um, thoughts with his family, and you know, just want to say thank you to him for all he's done for the football club, and you know, we'll hopefully his, his good work will live on. Okay, then we're going to talk to ex-Cobblers right back in Clarkson now about the sad passing of Dennis Casey, long-time Cobblers physio, who sadly died this week, age 77. Uh, sad news, Ian, but what a legacy in terms of all the Cobblers players he helped. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a, a real fantastic man with, with 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 a great moral compass, a superb work ethic, and an absolute gentleman. You know, in a in an industry that doesn't have lots of gentlemen, Dennis really was, you know, a sort of real. Top top human being. I've got so much time for him. Sure, yeah, it was it was sad news and, and shock news for us all this week. But I think the number of ex players and people connected to the football club and all over the world of football that have you know sent their love to his family and everything is a real is a real beautiful thing. Can you tell us a little bit about Dennis, about his character and you know what made him such a good physio? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'd, I'd come to Northampton. I'd, I'd been fortunate. I'd never had any major injuries. Then third season at Northampton, got a broken leg, right, TBS. I was out for pretty much nine months. And what a man, obviously. My, my spirits were a low, but he, he was great. Every morning, he, he was full of beans. He, he was a realist. He, he worked his socks off, but he, he had a, an amazing ability, Dennis, to flog you into the ground, but do it with a smile. Uh, and he, he could always get that, eke that extra bit of uh, energy and, and an effort out of you. Some of his bike rides were absolutely legendary. Uh, you know, I discovered parts of Northampton, disused railway lines, all sorts that I'd never, I, I didn't know existed. Um, static bikes, moving bikes, any bike you, you, you can imagine. We, we, we were on it, uh, but he, he, he was brilliant. He was patient. Um, he would always go the extra mile. He was conscientious. I trusted him implicitly and everything he said made, made complete and utter sense. And he'd, he'd have you in on Saturdays, Sundays, but he was always there himself. Wouldn't ask you to do anything that, that was unrealistic. I, I had a clear pattern, a, a clear method he was working to, and just made total, total sense. And actually, he really cared. That's a real attribute for any good physio, isn't it? Cobblers had a few players at that time with some quite serious injuries, didn't they? People like Sean Parrish had a had a bad one, Roy Hunter. Um, have you been in touch with any other Cobblers players? And how has the news gone down? Because I know you have a WhatsApp group, as as it mentioned. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I mean, everybody I've spoken to is, or has, has messaged me has, has endorsed that view. Really sad news. Wonderful person. Um, you know, I spoke to Ian Atkins, Kevin Broaders, you know, Kevin Wilson, all the players, and everyone just spoke really, really highly of Dennis. Had so much time for him. 
uh, you know, and, and and for me, it's it, it's a sad loss. And, you know, I'll always remember Dennis really, really fondly. And as I said, if I was going to get a serious injury, which, which I didn't want, I would have chosen him out of all of my physios to look after me, uh, nurse me back into sort of health, fitness and, and everything else. He, he was a really, really good man. And as you said, at the time, I think there were, there were three or four people, but he, he was terrific at, at managing, you know, if you were there, a long-term injury, a short-term injury, he seemed to have a way of getting the the uh, best out of people and knew knew the right time to say, actually, Clark, you know, it's it's been a, a tough week. Take this morning off, keep your spirits up, you know, you can come back in and have an afternoon session or an evening session, but he was always available. That's a, that's a really important thing to just to be able to have someone. And I think sometimes it's someone to talk to as well, because you're quite isolated as an injured player, aren't you? You don't really train with the main squad and stuff. So maybe it's almost like a, you know, an arm on your shoulder as well, sort of role that he did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yes, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. You, you're, you're fairly isolated. You you don't really feel part of it, even because you're sort of coming in earlier, leaving later than the rest of the squad. You, you don't always see them or just briefly. Uh, you're not playing. So he, he was fantastic at that. He, he, he'd always listen to your moans, your sort of your, your gripes, your worries, your concerns. And he, he always had a really good answer for you. And he was very, very good at a, a game of two-touch. The, the only way I could ever get Dennis to stop working me hard was to suggest a game of two-touch head tennis. Um, <laughs> and, and and that might take him off track for about half an hour. But uh, look, you know, uh, an, an absolute gentleman. He loved it. He, he had a, a a good caustic wit. Um but but underneath it all, you knew that he cared, and most importantly, you knew he was a real professional, and he really knew his stuff. Yeah, well, well, his uh, his career at Cobblers went from 1985, um, probably just before or around the time of Graham Graham Carr when he came in, all the way through Ian Atkins. You know, even after that, he was there till 2008 under 12 different managers, which says a lot for his professionalism that people trusted him and you know worked with him for that long it's amazing really yeah it is i mean it, it, as you said he had some terrific stories and i you know i often remember him talking about the 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 bad times at northampton when they were almost relegated they almost went out of existence all those sort of, so he yeah. was always thankful and, and, and grateful that you know he, he kept his job um and he, he was always positive in his uh, outlook on life and as i said you know, if you have any, any problems, you know, even beyond football, he was a sort of bloke you could trust, you could talk to. Um, and he was like a real, you know, uh, I, I believe, you know, in, in, in modern terminology, I suspect they would say he looked after your wellness very well. You know, yeah. well-being and health were at, at the forefront of, uh, of, of Dennis's mind. Clearly, working your socks off as well was, but in, in all honesty, he, he, he cared for all the players. That's a really nice way to sum things up. And, you know, he's a true clubman as well. You, you don't get many players, uh, people that are that loyal to a football club and they're through thick and thin and just, you know, working under so many different managers. So, like I said, his legacy is there in terms of all the cobblers players he helped. That, you know, you know, some of them might still be playing football now or their careers were... You know, yeah. made to be a bit longer, so you know. We, yeah, we, no, we, honestly, Tom. Yeah, I, I think if we were, if if Dennis was a, a footballer rather than a physio, I think he'd have been sought after. If if he'd have had an agent that that have tried to snap yeah. him for a bigger club because he, he he was that good. But the fact yeah. he was, you know, a, a loyal, solid individual who wanted to stay in Northampton for 23 years. I, I believe he had some sheep and he lives sort of out in far away. And well, you know, he, he he was a fairly private man as well. But honestly, a, an absolute gentleman, and you know. A, Rest in peace, Dennis. You really were a, f- a fantastic bloke who touched lots and lots of people. Yeah, that's that's some really nice words, and it's really nice to 
remember someone so positively. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us about Dennis, um, Ian, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. So let's move on to Saturday's match at Burton Albion. I'm pleased to be joined by D3, D4 podcast co-host and Burton Albion fan, Edward Walker. I'm not sure any Burton or Cobblers fans are looking forward to this, particularly Ed, with both teams in poor form and it seems like the Brewers have been hit by a COVID outbreak too. It's not going great at the minute this season, has it? It's proven quite forgettable. And yeah, um, the news broke around this time last week that Burton had had six players come back positive from COVID tests, six more self-isolating. So you're looking at 12 people absent for the game against Hull and that really put it in doubt and it ended up being forced to go through but didn't even get a choice in the matter which many people weren't too pleased about and it's looking like it's going to be the same this weekend as well. Seems a little strange because in, in normal times if you had that many players out I think you could uh, Burton could ask for special dispensation for the game to be postponed but it just seems that the rules are quite sort of you know fairly strict on getting games done when on a sporting terms you'd really expect this sort of game to be postponed wouldn't you? Well, there doesn't seem to be any rules in a minute because we've had Oxford Crew, which has been postponed two times because of a few crew, pl- crew, crew players, sorry, two or three of them being absent. And yet, but yep. they've got 12 out and that's gone ahead. And this this was international weekend last weekend. You had clubs who were able to call it off because they had three players away on international duty. But for some reason, I think their argument was Burton played the Tuesday night before the whole game against Fulham under 21s with a much weakened 11, but all the players in that squad tested negative so they felt there was a squad available but it was significantly weaker we had to recall players on loan from non-league clubs youth players just to make up the numbers for that squad last Saturday and it did ultimately show with the way the game panned out obviously Northampton fans will hope it will being selfish we'll hope the game goes ahead just because we need we need the points and you know there's no there's no romance in football anymore if we can mm. get the points we'll, we'll try and get them I guess the first question for Cobblers fans is how is John Joe at all is he okay is he one of these <laughs> players that have been sidelined oh there's a story with John Joe at all um he obviously signed in last summer and when he signed I personally was quite delighted because John Joe particularly going back to his Bristol Rovers days always turned up against Burton Albion normally scored as well so I we looked at him around and thought this is a really good powerful addition to the midfield unit but it became pretty clear very quickly from Kloss interviews he was never going to play midfield he was going to put him at centre-back which I'm sure is something that for Northampton fans raises quite an eyebrow. But when you look at it, it kind of makes sense. He, There's no doubting he's an absolute unit. He's got the power to play the centre-back. He's composed on the ball as well. And it worked really well. But as the season went on, you start to notice the problems in O'Toole, which is obviously he fully commits the challenges. There's no leeway with him. He'll either go straight through you or won't go near you at all. And that I can remember a game against South End he had where it was a ball over the top and he's dragged the opponent to the floor, last man, straight red card. And that has really carried into this season. And unfortunately, he's become the liability in this defence now to the point where a few weeks ago, Jake Buxton publicly came out and said, instead of him making mistakes, we're not going to use him. And so he's been trying to avoid using him. But with these people, we've got absent through COVID and potentially injury as well. There's probably a good chance you might see him play on Saturday, which... Will be fun for you lot to see him again. Not so fun for us because we don't really have a lot of confidence in him when he's on the pitch at the moment. But yeah, we'll have to see with that one. Temperament was never his strong point anyway. No, so to, no. to move to centre back, obviously he's he's fairly good on the ball and his presence, you know, and his his footballing brain isn't too bad. So I can see why, and 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 he was sort of slowing down. He's getting a bit older, so I can see why Nigel Clough made that yeah. change. I think but the other problem also... as well was that the midfield unit's the strongest part of Burton. It has been for several years, so. 
he yeah. was going to be low down the packing order in midfield anyway. His best chance of playing was going to be in the back line because it's always been an area that's been lower in depth and quality compared to other parts yeah. of the pitch. Yep. Um, I think, you know, the Northampton setup will know John Joe at all inside and out and they'll sort of know his strengths and weaknesses and Keith Carr is one to target opposition weaknesses. So I'm sure they'll be looking to try and unsettle him a little bit, but we'll see on Saturday, I guess. Um, let's talk about the start of the season for Burton Albion because like Cobblers, it's been patchy, probably slightly patchier. You've had problems off the pitch as well and it's you know, not been easy. Um, Cobblers are in 19th at the moment. Burton are 23rd, uh, one place off the bottom. Cobblers have got one win in the last five. Uh, Burton have got no wins in the last uh, past five league games. Lost the last game 2-0 to Hull. Was there anything in those games which give you any slight hope that Burton can you know, match Cobblers on Saturday? Well, the immediate one, I suppose, was the whole game we had. Um, it was a weekend 11. It was better than we were expecting. We hear the news that 12 people are out and you're thinking this is going to be a team of youngsters. And it wasn't. Yeah. It was an OK team, particularly at the back. It was significantly weaker at the front line. But the back line was good and they were quite competitive with what is a very good whole team up to sure. the point where one of our centre-backs, Sam Hughes, who's on loan from Leicester this season, got sent off for a couple of rather questionable yellows. There's definitely some doubt as to whether those should have been given or not. But going down to 10 men against that team really changed the game in whole favour and they eventually pulled through and got the win. Going back into previous results, there's a 2 all draw at Peterborough, which posh are top of the table at the minute. We're one of the few sides that have actually not yet lost to them this season. So it's encouraging there. And that was with the patterns of play. We had to score some very nice goals in that game. So we can be competitive. The problem is we're just incapable of keeping clean sheets it hasn't been a single one yet this season but let's face it Northampton's form's pretty weak uh, <laughs> we 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 lost to Hull ourselves 2-0 with our full strength side so um, I'm not sure the difference is too much and I just think the way Northampton are playing at the moment we struggled past Stevenage who are not playing MP trees in league two in the you know Papa John's trophy mm-hmm. we took them they took us to penalties we actually beat them on penalties so we're not in any particular form the team doesn't seem particularly settled so even with a weakened Brewers outfit, I still think Northampton fans won't be particularly um, confident. This reminds me of a Shrewsbury game Burton had a few weeks ago where both teams thought they were going to lose it. Let's move to your manager, who is Jake Buxton. He was the captain there. Am I right? He was a captain and moved up after um, Nigel Clough left? Yeah, he was the club captain. Um, came back through his second spell. Uh, I'd originally been with them during their non-league days. One player of the season as they went up into League Two went with Kloss to Derby. He's basically been wherever Kloss been, one of his disciples, if you want to call the word to that. But Kloss stepped aside in the summer to three up the space to keep as many staff on because we knew the financial situation at Burton were in because of COVID. And Jake Buxton has stepped up into the role. It all made sense. He is a leader on and off the pitch. He's got that credentials to be a future manager, it always felt like. And he go into the season and you're hoping that it can work out because Burton has been a place where some great managers have started out the careers. Gary Rowett started out here, he's now doing brilliantly with Millwall and has been great at other clubs. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank had one of his first jobs in England here before when he moved over from Belgium. Paul Beskisoldo had his first managerial stint here as well back in 2009 to 2012. So you hope that Jake Buxton could kind of continue that trend of being successful to starting managers. It's really not been easy at the minute. It started out okay, there was a couple of wins over Atkinson, one in the cup, one in the league. But that Accrington win on the 19th of September is the last league game Burton have won. And that is reflected in the league table at the moment. Sure, but um, 
Jay Buxton's been thrown in the deep end big time, hasn't he? Because mm. not only has he got big boots to fill in terms of Nigel Clough, who is a you know a long established figure in the game, especially with his dad. Um, you've had the COVID situation as well, so it's not easy. He's he's having to juggle a lot of plates, and um, yeah, I just feel I feel for him to an extent on that one. What about his tactics? Has he got any go-to tactics, or is he literally having to roll with the punches because of the people that are out? Well, when it all started out at the beginning of the season, it was very similar to what it was under cloth. It was a 4-3-3, trying to be quite fluid, pass the ball around, look to get the yep. fullbacks forwards on the overlap, get the wingers running at the fullbacks, and that was working out great. But as the teams kind of slipped down the table and started conceding goals, he's gone through a more conservative approach. So he's looked to pack the midfield with really energetic players that can provide that link between defence and attack. And they've employed a more direct style, which can work on occasions, but we're playing with a single lone striker who's normally got no one within 10, 15 yards of him to support. And so it's making it a lot more difficult to really get the ball down, get it under control and play other people in. And that's showing in the low number of chances we're creating. I think I remember reading Burton of creating the fifth fewest chances of any team in League One at the moment. And that's really reflected in the league position, coupled that with the fact that they can't keep clean sheets. And it's all the signs of a relegation team, unfortunately. That could echo what is happening at Northampton, really. We're not making a huge number of chances. Pretty toothless up front. I think the midfield in, in most football games is a key battleground. Northampton's midfield, for me, has been a bit turgid the past few few games. Accrington definitely targeted Northampton and had quite a lot of, lot of success through quite a capable midfielder. So I think yeah, your manager will definitely be trying to be overloaded in midfield and trying to keep the pressure on, I guess. Keith Carr will be looking for people like Harry Smith if he starts to get in amongst uh, John Jarrett if he starts and just try and cause havoc in a defence that's maybe not so settled. Are there any players to watch out for for Burton? Because I know this is a difficult question for you because you're not sure who's actually going to start <laughs> yeah. on Saturday, but just go with you know who you, th- you think possibly could play and who probably might have trouble with. Well, I think the big area to look at for us, if we are allowed to actually use them, is the midfield unit. Um, I think back to the Northampton game between Burton in January, the FA Cup game, and how Northampton completely steamrolled Burton at the Pirelli. And I'm just glad we're not going to have to play that back line again because they absolutely run us ragged that game. Charlie Good, Scott Walton, Jordan Turnbull absolutely run ragged and don't have to deal with Vidane Oliver up top either, but... Yep. There's still some players, certainly. I always look at Ryan Watson and think if I have to see him run into the penalty box anymore, I'm going to cry. Just don't want to see him attacking that box anymore. But I suppose from a Burton perspective, you have to look at the midfield three and it'll probably be the same one which started against Hull with Stephen Quinn, first of all, in there. We know the name, experienced professional. He's in his third year at the club now. He's going to go down as one of the best signings this club's had in the last 10 years. He's been brought in, plays the kind of defensive midfield, holding midfield role, really dictates the play very good positioning able to break up chances and that allows other people in the team to progress their thoughts and attack up the pitch so people like ryan edwards on number four who has become this kind of box-to-box menace down either side has got fantastic energy on him doesn't mind drifting out into the right channel either to make use of the ball and then also recently breakout star number 25 kieran gilligan he's a first year pro recently signed a new deal to 2022 and he looks like this kind of person who could be part of Burton's midfield in the future. He's a bit more deep-lying player, keeps the tempo really well from side to side, likes to switch it out to either flank every now and then as well. And I'd imagine that could be the three that plays on Saturday, and that will be the key part of Burton, because the midfield is the strongest unit, and that's the energetic midfield that Buxton will probably want to use to get the better of Northampton in that game. Peterborough, for instance, had you know made hay by getting in behind our wingers, our wing-back system. 
uh, by switching the play really quickly and catching our wing backs out of position. Do you think that Burn, maybe some of the players you've mentioned already, have players that can get in behind our wing backs and, and settle our three centre backs? Yeah, definitely. Um, we were supposed to be starting Kane Hemmings on Saturday. He got injured in the warm up, so the man who was brought in up top instead was Niall Ennis, who's on loan from Wolverhampton Wanderers, spent last season at Doncaster. He has fantastic pace in behind. And if we can utilise that, he certainly is someone who could get in behind, perhaps even Indiana Vasilev as well, who's on loan to Aston Villa, a more of a left winger who can get in behind as well. Maybe even Stephen Lawless, the number 11 on the other side. So there's three people who could potentially get in behind. It's whether or not Burton try to actually use them more as target men or whether actually we try and play a bit more progressive through the thirds and let make use of them getting in behind or not. Because if we use them as a target men, you're probably going to find that Northampton will get the better of them with the bigger defenders. So the Villa guy is called Indiana Vasilev, did you say? Indiana Vasilev, yes. What a great name. I think he deserves to be the team just name, being called that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, United States Youth International. Okay. Very promising little player. Very promising okay. player. We'll, we'll keep an eye on him. I've always, you know, I've always linked Burton Albion with decent attacking midfielders and sort of quite fluid play. So it'll be interesting to see if you're going to go quite conservative or just try and open us up a little bit, which yeah. is um, perfectly possible. Um, let's go for a score prediction. I'll, I'll let you go first and then I can just work out right <laughs> after you. Because it's oh. a difficult one, isn't it? It could be any any result. I've been talking to Northampton fans before this and I can just picture, I've, I have this feeling because Sam Hughes is now suspended, our centre-back, it's most likely going to be John Joe Tall in there because there's not much else alternative. And I can just picture him because he's going to be so motivated against his old club, I can just see him dragging Sam Hoskins down in the box or something like that to give Northampton a penalty that potentially could seal it. But I'm going to go 1-1, which probably benefits Northampton more than it does Burton, because Burton really need three points right now. But I just kind of feel like, having seen the fight that that team did have against Hull with 11 men, if they can keep hold of all the players and not lose anyone to a silly red card again, this should be quite a competitive game. And I think with things quite on an edge, because people know how important it is, I think it could end level. So I'm going to go 1-1. Yeah, that seems a fair prediction. Um, with regards to Sam Hoskins, there's rumours that he's out of the game. He put something cryptic on his Instagram, uh, I think. And okay. uh, players have been saying, you know, uh, it's just seen people are suggesting that he's, he's injured. That'll become apparent by the time game kicks off. So if we're missing Sam Hoskins, he's a massive ball player for well, you know, he's a tiny guy, but he's he carries the ball so well for us and he vents pressure so well. He's a really key player for Keith Cole. So we've been lacking any sort of coherency in our play. So if we lose Sam Hoskins as well, well, you know, it could maybe be. Maybe Ricky but, Holmes uh, there instead then. Ricky Holmes, yeah, but again, coming back from mm. a chronic injury. So, yeah. you know, whether to be, to be able to rely on him, I guess we'll see. He played uh, a few minutes on Actually, he started on Tuesday, so he's um, depends if he recovers in time and you know what his problems he's got with his back. Um, I'll, I'm just going to go for a two-one win to Northampton, just because I think this is one where Keith Carr is going to drill into us that we touch wood haven't got the COVID problems. We've got a fairly strong squad on paper, and these are the games we have to be winning. So against you, and then we've got Rochdale the game after. So these are the sort of games Keith Carr always tends to win he, he, he loses games left right and center and people are like curl out curl out and then he'll pick a win or two up from somewhere so this suggests to me might be the time you know it, there'll be never be a better time for Northampton to beat but and with the problems you're going through sadly I don't want to you know it's not very sporting but it's just how it is isn't it you look at Northampton's wins as well you guys have got it against Wigan Swindon and Shrewsbury so you've done it against the teams that are down the bottom and if you do that that's enough yeah Keith Cole is, is very savvy, so 
his number one you know idea for the season is to stay up so he's probably not the sort of guy that will be you know trying to win in the FA Cup we put a week inside out in the FA Cup he'll literally be looking at games that are winnable to, to keep us you know scrape us up in this league and it's not great for fans because the fair on offer is not very entertaining and not very attractive but at the end of the season if we stay up fans will be fairly happy with that and I, I guess with for you as well if, if Buxton can keep you up maybe the Brewers fans will be fairly happy well, the expectations in the season were quite a bit more ambitious than that because under Kloss, we were trying to push to that top six. I think we've realised now that Kloss' absence has really set this club back a few years from being anywhere near that. And right now, the focus is on a minimum of 20th. That's the focus. If we get higher than 20th, great, but 20th at the minimum. Anything less than that is a incredibly disappointing season. Sure, I guess Burton have had such a, a good run in the past few years and had a really good time of it in a lot of ways especially going up to the championship for a period um that maybe your fans have been sort of lulled into a false sense of security and now it's maybe the realities of the the dog fight that can be you know league one and league two football is is dawning a little bit and that goes on i guess to do you reckon it's a bit of a transition period for an albion maybe because of the success you've had and now just trying to consolidate in a you know a sustainable level for the football club yeah, well, it definitely is because we've had a manager that's been synonymous with this club for going on more than 20 years since he first came in 1998. And over his two spells, he's become the most iconic manager this club has had. And it was always going to be a case moving on to anyone else that we needed to kind of maybe change the identity of the club a bit in terms of how we play and the approach we have to games. And it's just a shame that we've taken on an incredibly experienced manager for a job where you have one of the clubs with the smallest division, smallest budget, sorry, in the division. And it's showing the challenge of it at the minute. And it, it really shows, to be honest, what Clough was doing for years at Burn, And it really puts into perspective just how good he was here. Nigel Clough, just uh, a big name. He was a very good player in his day too. Just um, mm-hmm. someone that's sort of dripping in football knowledge and he's lived the game, his dad lived the game. And, you know, it's just really big boots to fill. Let's um, finish with a word about your chairman, Ben Robinson, who for me stands out as one of the good guys in in the lower leagues and has run the club brilliantly well. Yeah, fantastic. He he and Cloth are the reason this team can call themselves an EFL side at the moment. He's been on the board for well over 40 years now. I think it was 1975 that he first got involved with the club. Wow. Local, local man, been so involved, has seen all this rapid progression with the club. He's adored by all the fans and always will be and He's always been one who's been so careful with budgets. He's always made it clear to whoever has been a manager, this is the budget we have. We are not going above this. I will not let you. And we've all, it's only ever been a case, the burden of signing a player if they are right. It's not been a case of going out to someone just to have a go. There was no intent to waste money on any player at Burton Albion. So that's why you see so many of the players come out good. And it's not often we come across a player signed on loan or on a permanent transfer who does not work out just because we can't afford to. So he yeah. is, for me, definitely, maybe I'm biased, but I'd say he's, he's the best chairman in EFL and he's the reason this club can call themselves an EFL side, having had most of their history non-league. Just hope that the next time we play, it's in a better scenario yeah. with yeah. you know a, a fully fit squad. No one really wants to see a game where the other team's been decimated by you know, uh, withdrawals for, for COVID. It's not it's not really a sporting thing. We just want to see two teams go toe-to-toe, full-strength squads, and then see what happens. But I guess we can have a little chat after the game and uh, compare notes. But um, thanks for talking to me. It's been really interesting. And we'll talk again soon. No problem. Cheers, mate.
Cheers. Let's move on now to the Cobblers A to Z. Um, we're on to the letter J now. She's scorching through this now. Um, <laughs> I last week was dominated by the Ians. We've got an Ian on our panel here. <laughs> so hopefully we can escape a couple of the Ians and move on to the other people. Um, letter J. Let's see. Andy, have you got a letter J for the Cobblers A to Z? I have, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to... Because I'm, I'm going to leave you John Johnsons to to others, really. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm going to go for Joe Kiernan, star of the uh, 60s team. I believe, I think Ian said a few weeks ago that his dad said that was the best player he ever saw play for the Cobblers. Um, he was a bit of a legend, part of the 60s team. But mainly, I've got a connection with him through his son, who used to semi-bully me on the school bus. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Danny, da, da, Danny Kiernan, who I, be- I think also played a couple of games. He did. Circa 94 or 95. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. He, played, he, he was a youth team player. Danny was a youth team player for Cobblers, yeah. Danny at that stage was in the sixth form uh, with another lad. They used to sit on the back seat. And yeah, they used to they used to just train me, but I I was a little bit in awe of Danny because I knew that his dad was joking, and so you just had to sit and take it. <laughs> I just took it, mate. I was trying to make me bones. <laughs> bullied by a cobbler. This is a new feature for next week. Who's been bullied by a cobbler? Um, yeah. Danny Keenan was not a bad lad. It was it was it was hijinks. He was just a little bit loud. There was a bit of basic ribbing. There was it, it was it wasn't it wasn't bullying. I was I've blown it out of all proportion. It, it was just we, it was just joshing, mate. It was ribbing. We should um you should have sent you know, you should have gone round to Joe Keenan and say, I know you're a cobbler's legend. <laughs> you're a cobbler's legend, but just get your son to leave off on the bus. Just right? tell, your, tell your son <laughs> to stop shouting at me. <laughs> Uh, that is a, that is a that's a bit of sweet one, um, Andy, but a good one. Obviously, a very good player. Danny Keenan um, Ian, was not a bad lad. I'll say that now. I, okay, fair enough, mate. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Ian, what's your uh, cobblers A to Z letter J? Uh, Danny Jackman. I thought I'd go uh, for yeah. um, I thought I'd go for the, the J for the surname instead. Yeah, really good little player, wasn't he? Very skillful, great free kick taker. Um, I remember. I think the club were doing some promotion to try and get people to go to um the games and buy season tickets and there was a photo of him um i was going to say in an abandoned unit of the grosvenor center but i mean the grosvenor center now is pretty much 90 percent abandoned unit. you mean the whole grosvenor center yeah exactly. yeah but this was this was you know, bear in mind this was about 10 years ago so yeah you know the coffee shop bit of the Grosvenor Centre is yeah. there's um the hairdressers and all yeah I remember walking past there and there he, there he was that little Danny and he left on quite bad terms didn't he I think there was some talk about him like feigning injury to get out of playing towards the end and then next thing he signed back for Gillingham but yeah I used to walk past that picture and think Danny where did it all go wrong if only he'd stay because he was he was player of the year wasn't he the the um the, the year we went down from under grey um, yeah and he was he was uh, he was yeah I mean he was probably the best player in that team and um he was, yeah, a good it's, it's he was a good player small small lad only five foot four um but yeah deadly free kick taker um 
real shame we we couldn't we couldn't hold on to him and he, yeah he only had two seasons but yeah definitely I mean that that team we've said before haven't we Gray's Gray made some good signings um while he was with us and and he, he you know he unearthed some sort of gems didn't he so yeah, yeah and, and and Jackman was definitely one of them yeah I I think that's a really good one. Danny Jackman for me was part of that team. I've said it before that I reckon that Stuart Gray side was the best we've had for a long time. I, I put it at even higher than the Chris Wilder side. It was actually operating in a league higher. Had people like Danny Jackman who could play at left back and he played in centre mid, didn't he, as well, Ian? He was and a brilliant free kick taker as well, a little blonde guy. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he had other people around him who could do the heavy lifting because he, was, he wasn't going to do any heavy lifting at five foot four. But yeah, he was... Um, he was technical, yeah. wasn't he? He was a little technical yeah. player, but you had your Brad Johnsons, your Paul Huberts, Bayo, uh, yeah. you know, all the other players that Gray put together. So, and, and he was an, a real integral part of that. Um, I think he probably played in that game we beat Swansea 4-2, which I still think is one of our best ever results. Yeah, so, yeah I think he did play in that game, yeah. That's a really good one, Ian. Uh, let's go to you, Brendan. Letter J. I mean, we couldn't do Jay and then and then not mention mention the the, the man himself, my favourite ever Cobblers player, John Joe O'Toole. Um, yeah. yeah, just he, club legend gets banded around too much. He's I, you know the amount of time he was there, you can't really say he was a club legend. But I think just for like, there are very few players that capture fans' imaginations like that, and he just yeah yeah um, he he embodied that championship winning season for me and. He's just a really nice bloke. I think I've said on it might have been on the debrief show before that I was lucky enough to to meet him and go to some shows with him and and um, he's just a really really nice guy and I was genuinely gutted when he left because um, it, it, you know he just bought a house in the area. I think he saw he kind of felt he'd found a home at Northampton after his career not gone the way he wanted in his own words um, and yeah it was just a shame that he didn't see eye to eye with Cole. Carl wanted his, some yes men and John Joe didn't want to do that. And yeah, it, it's a shame to see him at, at centre-back and, and then someone down the other end of the table with us in, at Burton as well. So I'd like to, I'd, I, you think, you know, the kind of player he was and what we all remember, like really big and physical, but all, always had a deft touch as well. And it, it, he could chest the ball anywhere. Um, I, I'd mm. love to see him in that in that kind of cam 10 role that we play with three at the back under Carl. If you want to go route one, having the him there would surely he was deadly in the box with his head so I don't know I don't know what what Curl and him didn't see eye to eye on but I just know it wasn't wasn't pleasant and I, I didn't want to see him go but yeah he's, he's he you have to mention him whenever you mention uh, a Jay um, in the Cobbers conversation because uh, there's a lot of fans that I think would agree with me he's one of their favorite ever players I agree with that he was just sort of fairly symbolic of that time in that Fans needed a little bit of a hero, didn't they? It was tough times for Cobblers and he was the, you know, the hero that stepped forward, sort of maybe a bit of an unlikely hero. He needed the fans' adoration and the fans needed someone to adore. Um, mm. Well, I'm going two stone roses on it. He was just, he, need, he, need, he was a confidence player, I think, in a lot of ways. He needed yeah. an arm around his shoulder and he needed that, that fan support. And that song that, you know, became absolutely, you know, iconic of the time, his chant, it really, um, I think it really tickled him and he really enjoyed that. And it just, he'd had a difficult time at South End, I think it was. And he, I think we sent him out on loan, didn't we? And yeah. he came back and just all came together. He was going to get a move just before. Um, I've heard him mention it a few times on, 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 on in some other areas as well. He was going to move and then we put him in the 
that it fell apart and there were some injuries and he had to go into this. I think it was their the first game of the season against Bristol Rovers, his, his old side, and he, and he bagged a goal and managed to stick his, his place in their team. And he did tell me that he, he never really got on with Chris Wilder, apparently, either. Um, I don't know if... It, and he, I know he didn't get on with Jimmy. So I don't, I don't know whether, like... Obviously, we all <laughs> think he's a really nice guy and he was a good player, but he must do something that pisses off managers because I, I don't know... Um, and, and then, obviously... Uh, Clough stuck him in at centre back, and and that's where he stayed. So, um, I don't know. Maybe he, his laid back nature doesn't appeal to to managers too often. But he he always said he never massively got on with. He didn't have like some special relationship with Wilder, even though he was arguably one of the best players that season. Um, yeah. He, he he said he he got on better with with Alan Nil, but yeah, the enigma that is John Joe at all. Yeah. That's a, but yeah, that's exactly the way to describe him, and we could probably go on all night trying to sort of make head nor tail, make heads or tail of it. But it's just he's just John Joe, isn't he? And yeah. I can imagine he's his laid back nature. Managers want to win every game and do this, do this. And John Joe's like, yeah, I'll just do my thing. So yeah, probably well, well, a few people. I'll score when I want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's go through some of the tweeters uh, suggestions. Actually, We've got quite a few again. Ben White has gone for Jamie Forrester. Would be offensive if you leave him out. Uh, I don't know if he's been, uh, J- uh, Jamie Forrester's agent, but Jamie Forrester was a very, very good striker for Northampton Town. And we signed him from Utrecht. So for football hipsters himself, <laughs> that is just like brilliant football hipster points. Uh, Matt Cobblers has gone for John Joe O'Toole. He's echoing you, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Butcher is buttering up uh, Jefferson Lake. He said Jefferson Lake and James uh, Hennigan from the Chronicle. Um <laughs> I don't think Ryan Gilligan will agree with that because he's uh, Jefferson Lake's um, <laughs> nemesis. So, yeah, we'll be going for that one. Uh, let's see what else we've got. We've got Quick Whittington's gone for John Gale. Now, um, we've talked about John Gale a lot and you can't beat the story of him having the dust-up with Carl Heggs in the uh, club shop. It goes down in sort of Cobbler's legend, that dust-up, and just a massive figure at the football club and really super important in turning the football club around in the 90s. Um, Ashley Hardy's gone for John Hodge, who was a winger, Hodgy Hodgy. We talked to him a little bit before, just an old school winger. I really, I really liked him. I just thought he was the sort of uh, chalk on your boots winger that we don't really have anymore. Yeah. Ryan Eldridge has gone for JJ Hooper. Does anyone remember him? He was a bit of a letdown, wasn't he, up front? Mate, I was going to say, I, I didn't know if it was going to get mentioned. I was going to say, if we if we managed to get through all the Js without a JJ Hooper, after having JJ at all as well, I'll be shocked. Because if you if you want to argue JJ O'Toole was one of our best players, a lot of people will sit there and argue that JJ Hooper was one of the worst. And he, if uh, O'Toole embodied Chris Wilder's era, Hooper embodied the Rob Page era. Um, I have no idea what he was doing that signing. The fact that he played for us in League One baffles me because he, he, I think he knocked around League Two a little bit after that, and he's fallen out of the football leagues now. Um, I put a, a tenner down that he's still in non-league, so. A.D. Richards gone for Danny Jackman, like um, Ian did. Uh, John Johnson, who Andy alluded to earlier, which is a double J and always gets double points with us. Uh, John Johnson playing out in India. We talked about him a little bit. Um, Jefferson Lake talked about him and saying that he was a good player, perhaps a bit of a Jack the Lad maybe. And, uh, you know, he's probably settled down a lot now. Still playing in India. So, you know, had a reasonable career. Um, Michael Jacobs. Eddie Richards has gone for what, what, what a great young player he was for us. Local lads comes from Warns, I think. Michael Jacobs and um, two now. Pardon? Has he signed for somebody yet? Yeah, he plays for Portsmouth. Oh, he signed for Port. Oh, typical. Okay. 
He didn't play, yeah, but... play against us when we lost 4-0, did he? No, he didn't. No. He... no. He didn't play that game. He, uh, I think he was injured, luckily enough, because we would have probably beat him 6-0 if he was yeah. playing. But it's a fantastic, probably one of the best young players. Ian, would you say Jacob's one of the best young players we've produced in Northampton? Yeah, really good player, wasn't he? I remember two like two memories of him when he um I remember when Ian Taylor retired and he remember when he left the pitch and he chucked his boots over his shoulders as a bit of a dare. And all the Villa fans who were there left. And I remember Jacobs came on and it was like a quite a significant moment, wasn't it? It was like you know, football's past and football's future. Because mm. um, and then yeah, I think, um, another Jay, Gary Johnson, um I'm surprised he wasn't mentioned actually. Big favourite, wasn't he, um, in these parts? But he, um, he, Johnson's first game, I remember, I think Jacob scored two in that. And, and he's, uh, I remember everyone saying, God, he's a little bit special. He's going to do something. And obviously he was, um, as usual, there's more talk of, well, where's he going to go to? <laughs> then let's just enjoy having a really good player playing for us. Um, Ian Wickens, Chunk Design, has said 2006 was a year of Jay. When we had Bradley, Brett, and Gavin Johnson all in the match day squad, so I think uh, it started off with the sublime Bradley Johnson, and then he went to Brett Johnson and Gavin, who weren't quite as good, but Bradley Johnson, what a brilliant player back in in those in those days. He was, um, I think, Colin Calderwood had a hand with Bradley Johnson. Is that right, Ian? And he and he came through, especially under Stuart Gray, but a brilliant yeah, centre midfielder. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he went on to have a really good career, didn't he? Yeah, still playing now, isn't he? Wasn't he wasn't he being talked of of maybe playing in international football because of Yeah. Didn't he have a, was what was it America? Didn't he have USA, wasn't it? For for twenty ten, I remember that story. Yeah. He was in the yeah, I told you this... for for World Cup twenty ten, but it never never panned out in the end. Yeah, I told you the story. I went to the football to watch Cobbers with my dad and he said, who's this guy? Like, he didn't come out often. He was like, who's this guy? Bradley Johnson, this guy's brilliant. And he was like, following us following playing for Northampton. And he was like, right, I want you to put a bet, bet on Bradley Johnson playing for England. So I rang, and, he, and I was like, well, all right then. So I rang up Ladbrokes, you know, the special betting line. And they were like, I was like, can you, I didn't want to put a bet on Bradley Johnson. And they were like, well, just hold the line. And they were like, well, I think it's about 500 to one or something like that, a lot. And then they were like, hold the line. And then I got cut off. And I was like, well, I can't be bothered to ring these back. He's never going to play for England. And then bit by bit, Bradley Johnson like emerged this really good player. And I was sweating. I was sweating so bad. I was like, <laughs> my dad was like, oh, we got the bet on him playing for England. And I was like, oh, what, God, what I happens on the other end of the line after she's put you on hold? I don't know. I think they were just Are discussing. Are some... phoning through to, you know, some sort of um, mathematician bunker somewhere? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I or... they do. Is it just someone just having a fag and then mm. keeping it on tenter hooks and then just fuck that? I'd love to know yeah. how to figure it out. Like, yeah, you know, do they have any context on that or do they just have kind of a special rate of any, you know, let's say League Two Academy player and, and they say that. Is that? There was that heartwarming story. I'm not, I'm not going to remember the player now. I want to say it's Harry Wilson or Ben Woodburn or one of the Welsh Liverpool products, one of them. And the granddad had put money that one of them would score for Wales. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he won like I think I want to say he won like twenty five grand or fifty grand. I was really happy with it, and I was also, also like you're the granddad of a professional footballer for someone like Liverpool. I'm not sure you need the twenty five grand, but um, yeah, I, I always really like those stories. I'd like to know how many people do it and then 
um, just never admit that they've put money on their son when they turn out to be shy. That's, so, that's so that's so scouser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually taking the money, yeah. Well, I'm still it's sweating so now scary. because Bradley Johnson technically could still play for England because I don't think he's played for anyone nationally. So imagine he got a late call up. Imagine I was looking at the England squad, they're like, oh, Bradley Johnson has got his late call up. I'd be like, oh my God. It says here he's played one game in the Championship this season and scored three goals. So one game hat trick. He's on oh form. Look oh at it. Southgate's selection recently. Oh. Who, who knows? No, <laughs> Fred, don't do it to me. He's playing, Black, he's playing for Blackburn. They, they produce good England players. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep an eye on that one. I'll get to emigrate. The whole squad gets Corona, and they need they need. That's when he steps up. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good one from Ian Wickens. Um, Phil Garlic, man at CNA, has gone for Jima, the legendary Cobblers fan. Uh, just like it's hard to you know, unless you've ever seen Jima with his brolly and his uh, sunglasses, and his he always wears some like a like a trench coat. Like you, you don't know the man, the legend. Ian, he, I don't know where when he turned up at Cobblers. Where Martin might—he's not on tonight, but he'll probably tell us a little bit more. But he just became a fixture, didn't he? At away games, and like if Jim is not there, isn't there's something wrong, isn't it? Yeah, again, you know, a bit like Dennis Casey. He's like the, the fans' version, isn't he? He was just—he's uh, just an ever-present, and it's important, isn't it? You know, it's an important part part of your life. I mean, I remember—I remember that that 2016 year. Um, it was, you know, it was a really happy occasion, but it was sad in a way because a lot of, a lot of Cobblers fans seemed to pass away that year who were, who you didn't know, but you knew their faces. You know, like, yeah. you'd see a picture of them, wouldn't you? The club's sad to hear of the loss of this chap and that. And you think, well, I saw him. I've been seeing him, you know, stood in the West Ham concourse or at yeah. away grounds all around the country, you know. Yeah. So, it, you know, as, as, as foul a mouth as Jim has got, um, he is part of the the he is part of the, the the tapestry of the club, isn't he? he yeah. That's one of the things I miss the most with with coronavirus and everything going on. I was saying this to my to my two like best mates. We go to all the games together. One of them's in London with me, and the other one's in Northampton. So we meet up and travel around. And because we're of a slightly different age, there's a lot of fans that when we started going us free. We didn't know their names. We'd come up for nicknames for them because yeah. we never speak to them. And then after a couple of like three or four years going, you like chat to some of them. And I said to one of them the other week, like, I haven't seen, you know, that guy or that guy for like for about a year, you know. And mm-hmm. but I'm used to seeing that guy, that person doesn't know that like my Saturday isn't made until I just like nod at them and, and like lift a pint to them <laughs> in some arse end of the country. But Yeah, it will be it'll be good when fans get back in. I think we're all like you said sort of chomping at the bit now. And I think there's been some news that, you know, Oliver Dowden's sort of doing a declaration every week, isn't he, about that fans might get in by pre-December or something they've said, haven't they? Oliver Dowden, is that the bloke from Game On? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But apparently he said that he's the uh, minister, isn't he, the minister for sport and whatever. And he said that fans might be back by... By December, it sort of seems a bit of a long shot, doesn't it? But sort of we live in hope. But anyway, guys, when we do, we'll all we'll meet, we'll meet for a pint with Adam Woodjack, served by Letitia Dean. I will see you all then. You guys take it easy, yeah? Cheers, thanks. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.